the book of Isaiah. Reading will be longer than I usually like to read, but I feel like it would be necessary to acquaint you in the reading of God's Word with some of the things we would like to speak on this morning. First off, we appreciate you and your presence, your willingness to come to the house of God when the world seems to offer so many pleasures. We're glad that you understand that that which is perpetual and lasting comes from God. Amen. If we don't understand that, we should. The Bible says there was pleasures in the world, but says they were just for a season. But we don't disagree with the fact that the world does offer pleasures. It does. Satisfaction in human flesh gives pleasure, but those pleasures are just for a season. They, they evaporate. They will be gone. And then when they're gone, everything else is gone. But with Jesus, the pleasure you find in him outweighs just more glory of that. Everybody got it? Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Speak concerning Isaiah's vision and the transformation that takes place in Isaiah's life. I want to read from the first down to and including the twelfth verse. Will you just bear with me and read along with me? pray while you're reading it. God will illuminate something to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up in his train through the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one called unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then grew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity has taken away in thy sin courage. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and can person be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? He answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. I'd like to ask Brother Winfield if he would stand and ask God's blessings upon the reading of God's word. And ask God this morning to anoint our ears and anoint my mind that I might be able to speak only what God would desire of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for the privilege we have of coming to your gospel. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings we bestowed upon you for this We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that we will receive, Lord, as we learn more of your word. Lord, we pray this morning that you would anoint each ear that you're hearing this morning, Lord, that we can hear the things that 
you would have Brother Holt's thoughts on that. The Lord, we pray that you would anoint his mouth so that he can say those things. All praise your name, Jesus. We thank the Lord for, for each one that's here this morning. The same we ask in Jesus' name. First of all, I want to bring to you remembrance that there is a scripture that says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now that scripture is just as pertinent for us today as it was for Israel of old. And we want to bring out the subject to you. I don't know which direction right now we're going. But I want to at least get one thing in your mind this morning. The dangers of forsaking God. Now forsaking simply means leaving off or deserving or abandoning God. So right off you will realize this is speaking to Christians. People that have been someplace, you can't leave something off if you haven't had it or have it to leave off. You can't desert unless you've been there. You can't abandon it unless you've had it and claimed it and it's been a reality. So in all sense of the word, there is a danger that comes with forsaking God. First off, let's get a brief resume of Isaiah's transforming uh, a vision that he had with God and he was speaking in a year that King Uzziah died. Now Uzziah had ruled for 52 years and when he sought God and when he sought the Lord he cost her. But when he began to see things were going good and he thought he himself was the one that, that was doing this then he forsook the Lord. In fact he got so proud that he intruded into the priest office and began to burn incense himself. And when he did that, the priest immediately told him what he was doing and that it was not his place to do that, only the priest. And immediately he took the leprosy and was expelled and had leprosy even until he died. And Uzziah had been a good king and Isaiah had lived during most of his reign. And you see the heart of Isaiah as it is crushed. The Dead Sea Scrolls tell us that this was probably right after the great earthquake that happened in Uzziah's time that Zechariah talks about. And Isaiah had seen the demise of Israel. He had seen them raised to the height of spirituality as well as the natural physical things. And then he had seen them slowly decline. And he watched as his heart was crushed and breaking as a judgment of God fell on, on them and an earthquake that destroyed not only portions of the city but destroyed thousands of what seemed like innocent individuals because of the failure of Israel alone to realize that their forsaking God did bring judgment. Let's stop long enough to realize that these are examples set forth to us today to listen to. If these things happen to Israel alone, because of their forsaking what they knew was right, certainly we stand, certainly with the same judgments upon us. I realize people say, well, God was a God of wrath then. You're wrong. He was a God of mercy. And then he could change immediately and be the God of wrath. The only difference between your day and mine is God's judgment waits. I said God's judgment waits. It's there. His wrath is still stirred, but his mercy is great. And God's mercy was great on Israel. You can read 
time and time again where they incited God to move and God's mercy was great upon them until they finally stepped over the boundary. Now Isaiah appears on the scene at this time and had a vision when Israel was in a state of lukewarmness. They simply had dismissed some of the things they'd always did for God. They left off doing some of the things that they had always done for God. They left off their feast days and their fasting and their prayer and so many things and they even uh, quit claiming God as to be the only God. And Isaiah, like Christ, was driven to his knees because he realized that Israel could not remain in that condition. Might I surmise a little bit this morning and might I take with you a lesson that God is trying to tell us and might somewhere somehow it reach our hearts and make us to realize that the church world, our Israel of today, cannot continually remain in a state of apathy and lukewarmness. God has a challenge ready to be issued and he has judgment at the end of the line. Now Isaiah standing there before God saw the heartache, he saw the tears, he saw the crying, he saw a king that could have been good pass away by, and then all at once, God Almighty who sees an earnest heart. Aren't you glad this morning that God sees an earnest heart? And then God moved upon him, and he took Isaiah from the land of man, from the land of misery and woe, and through Legion transported him into God's holy presence, and it was there Isaiah got a commission. And his commission actually was not one that any of us really would desire. But as I turn to the ministers as well as the saints of God, I believe it's time that you and I, as ministers all over the world, was getting into the presence of God and ask Him for a vision and a revelation and tell Him to put in our heart judgment if it takes it for the salvation of souls somewhere. Amen. Amen. And Isaiah was transferred into this and he came and he said, I saw the Lord on his throne. I had lifted up. I saw the seraphim. And I saw all those things and I heard a voice. And he even moved the post to the door that was there. And then, instead of coming away proud, instead of coming away haughty, and I would like to challenge us, I think perhaps this has been one of the things that has displeased God. If I could bring it down just low enough to fit our entire family, I'd be like, this is one thing that has been displeasing to God. And He's honored us and given to us many things that others do not have. Maybe they don't desire Him. I don't know. He's came into our presence. He's moved in abundant ways. And oftentimes we have been lifted up with pride. We have thought God's honored us because we're worthy. And there's no way we can ever be worthy of God's divine presence by a vision, by a revelation or entering into His presence. But if you'll notice what it did to Isaiah, and God help it to do the same thing to us this morning. It humbled Isaiah. Amen. A visitation of God should always humble every Christian that ever has one, or every church that ever has a supernatural visitation of God. It only grabs to our knees and humble us and say, Oh, God, we're not worthy of such a thing. Amen. Amen. 
of all times we've stood in Christ. Glad to be able to relate to others of what God has done in our midst and been in our midst and have been lifted up in Christ. But Isaiah realized he'd been in the presence of God. And he says, God has come close to you. Now remember, this was a man that loved God. This man could be termed a Christian as we term Christians today. But Isaiah had come into something that was more than he ever experienced before, oh God. And now the church of the living God could come into something greater than that he had ever experienced in their entire Christian experience. Isaiah said, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm undone. How can we come into God's presence without giving a feeling of humility being undone? I thought when God stepped into our midst in the form of his angel of deliverance, although my soul was released of many burdens that I had, of things that pained me, I thought, oh God, if there's some way, somewhere, I can fall on my face. I thought, I am unclean standing in your presence. In spite of the best I am, and the best I can do, I am unclean. And one of these days, if you and I, I shudder sometimes, and God spoke to me this, just the night after it happened, God said, there's no telling what I would have done if my people would have fell, tossed it on their face, and said, I'm unclean. Unclean, I stand in the place of holiness. And God help us to realize that in some way. Let's see if we can experience the fullness of what God is trying to reach us with. Isaiah said, I am undone, I am unclean. And then God comes. One of the angels, seraphims of God, and takes a live coal from the altar, places it on Isaiah's lips, and said, I have taken away your iniquities, I have taken away your sinfulness, I have taken away your unearthly desires. And then Isaiah then he says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for me? Now we need to stop long enough to realize where was God sending him? Why was he commissioning him? Why did he bring him in his holy presence? And why did he take tongues from an altar and purge his lips? Why? Because there was a message of judgment to be delivered to the people that God had salvaged and God had loved and God had taken care of and God had led carefully. There was a message of judgment. Now, a message of judgment don't necessarily mean that things have to happen that way. That's right. just the exact opposite. God speaks the prophecy, tells judgment that hangs on us in the condition we're in. But he says, if you'll move from this condition, judgment will no longer be yours. At the minute you go back under it, judgment's still moving. Right. And I said, here I am, Lord. Send me. I said in question, I wonder if Isaiah was fully aware of what he was getting into. You see, most of us as ministers and lay members alike, we would like to take a message that would thrill and show heart. We would like to preach a message. I would love to preach one this morning that could counteract sin and reach into the heart and soul of sinners. And Isaiah, I'm sure, would have loved to went with Israel and salvage the lost and the dying. 
has undone with a message of mercy. That God said they have went too high. They're not going to stand in limbo. They're not going to stand in apathy. By lukewarmness, I'm going to bring them a message that will get them off of the fence. He on the other side or on God's side. Now somehow this morning I feel like that this is the type of message that's almost ready to emerge upon spirit-filled individuals and churches. And I don't know of any of us preachers that would like to carry it. I don't think maybe I would like it. And I think maybe it has been put upon our hearts and our lips of times and we have failed to cry out as God would have us to cry out. It's hard to stand with final doom and man's destination in your hands with God's word backing it up. I don't know if the church is ready for it or not. I'm not sure that Israel was ready for it at God's time, but Isaiah was chosen commission, got a vision from heaven, and supernatural influence, and he said, now you go tell these people this. You hear, but you don't understand. You see, but you don't know what you're seeing. And he said, I'm going to send a message. That's going to get you out of the way or in the way. How many of you are ready for the trimmings of God? How many of us this morning would say, God, send us an Isaiah. Send us a message of judgment. Have to challenge us enough to get us on our knees. And Isaiah says, come on. And the Lord says, until there's a great falling away or great forsaking in the land. There is danger of forsaking God. I realize most of us stand this morning and say, have I really forsaken God? Look at the word. It means leave off something that you used to do. It means desert the pathways that you used to travel. It means abandon that which was once glorious unto you. Now then, stop with me long enough. Now let a question loom in your heart. Have you left off some of the things that you used to do for God? That's forsaking God. How about prayer? Is it like it used to be? How about fasting? Is it like it used to be? How about your tithes and your time and your money? Have you left it off? Amen for the most part. This is a forsaking, not the final, not the doom, but a forsaking, an abandoning, a leaving off until finally there comes a message that cries out and says, shake up or she out. I realize for the most part you will hear that it is a nominal church. Almost accept anything. Come in a harlot, stay a harlot. Come in a whoremonger, stay a whoremonger. Come in one committing all of these acts and say that way and just profess you know Christ and let us put your name on the church book. And then you can sign all the church books that you want to sign all over the world and all over the country. And if your name is not on the lamp for the life, you'll split it. Amen. Amen. 
Now there's a lot of us that's pleased with God for a long time. There's a lot of us that have relied upon this mercy. There's a lot of us that the Apostle Paul said one time to, to the Galatians, I believe you did real well. But in him that you started out good. Everything that God chose for you to do and wanted you to do and you knew it was the law of God and the command of God, this you did. And that's fine. That God is speaking to Isaiah, Israel of old. God is speaking to us this morning. How anything we used to do for God and we don't do anymore is a forsaking and an ultimate danger that you and I need to get in retrospect. Amen. You see, there's more to it than coming to church, although that's part of it. There's more to it than letting a chill of God's presence run up and down your spine. Israel felt God, heard from God. Until the last message of judgment was forgotten. And then they were scattered over the face of the earth and their children as well as themselves suffered. Isaiah saw. Isaiah was spiritually. Because God loves you. 
And most of this is because we, when we first started out, was willing to heed what love said. Nothing was too hard for us. We planned the time to pray in our busy life. We planned the fast day that we would make something. We'd give God our time for witnessing and moving up into the presence of God. We'd give God physically and naturally what we feel. We wouldn't hold a thing from God. All of this we gathered up. And said, God, in all of this, I'm giving it to you. Now listen to what Jeremiah said. It said, now, be astonished, heavens, and be horribly afraid of what I'm going to say. For my people have committed two evils. Two evils. He said, my people, those still my people. They have forsaken me. Forsaken me. In other words, it has been a people that come with grace to the fountain. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Fountain of living water. Excuse people. That was watered by the springs and the dew. Every place they went. Here's people, right in front of me. Every one of us has been watered from the dew from heaven. Come upon the fountains of living water. And he said, now they have forsaken me. And that's not all. They use them out sisters. I've searched at some of the sisters that they have over in the Holy Land. And it comes off these rooftops. And the sisters has to be dug out in the rock. And this rock has a, a grainy, salty taste to it. And then coming from the rooftops and the tight cow, they have to use produces a, a soapy taste. And so actually you have these people with cisterns that have a soapy and a briny taste together. And this is what God was comparing what Israel had done yesterday, that they had forsaken Christmas, the truth of heaven, the glory of God that saturated their souls, and had a good Christ taste every morning, every noonday, and every night. And they had forsaken this. Turned around and walked off from it. And then used them out cistern that could produce only water with a bad taste. And that wasn't all. And again, I searched it out in his car to get a cistern to hold water in the holy land. And he said, these cisterns are broken. And they can hold no water. And he said, this Jeremiah says he's what God's people have done. Now then, that being an example, let's look at our lives. When we first came to Jesus, we were first, we were dying, we needed one. We had to have God came down and reigned over. The freshness of the Holy Ghost filled our souls. We went time and time and time again to the fountain of living water, and there we were. Then all at once, proceed. We leave off this, and we leave off that. We say, oh, God's merciful. Oh, I'll do something about it tomorrow, but God's not interested in that. He's interested in what you do today. Let how stupid it seems for a man to be right by a fountain that springs forth in a face Every living spring, and still he'll dig his own sister a foul-tasting water, 
be a partaker of that, but it can have the graces of God. And yet, you see, humanity and some of us this morning are doing the very same thing, have tasted the good things of God, have drinking of the water of life, have been replaced by His Spirit. And then all at once, the lust of the flesh and the things out here was being so important and so necessary that we just left off a few hours of prayer, left off a few moments of witnessing, left off a few times of giving to God either our times of money and offerings are our time. And we, in a sense, whether we want to face it or not, have forsaken him. Yes. We have left off doing some of the things that we used to do. And we've got us a sister. Oh, yes. We're replaced every morning with that foul tasting water. And that sister can't hold any water. In fact, the business is what God was trying to say to Israel. He's trying to say to us today that you can dig your sister. something that you have heard. Perhaps 
you need to realize that when a man won't see, he comes to this mercy. He won't be able to. Amen? First off, a man has to refuse to see. When it's all available, he has the facility, he has the ability to see. And then he comes to this judgment. But after a while, he won't be able to see. This is complete for sin. I want to read you something in Hebrews 10th chapter, the 23rd verse, and I realize I'll get black immediately, but I can't help it, it's true. The Apostle Paul, speaking to Hebrews, tells us and uses the same word that Isaiah used, or God told him to do it until the forsaking was in the land was complete. Same word that Jeremiah used when he said, my people have committed two evils, they've forsaken me the founder of living water, and here in the lap cisterns, they have forsaken. And the 23rd verse, Paul leaves an admonition to the Hebrews, and he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering. That means consistent. Holding fast to confession, really, is what it is. The confession in your faith, hold it fast. And quit wavering. Be consistent. Let your faith hold in the valley. The same way it holds on the mountain top. Let your faith hold when you cry the same as it does when you laugh and shout. Let your faith hold when you're sick. The same as it holds when you're well. Let your faith hold. Let your confession hold. Let it be real. This is drinking from the fountain of our living water. Amen. For he is faithful that comes. He wants you to remember that. Paul said, now if you hold fast to it, because God is faithful at coming. If God has promised you anything this morning, you hold to that, because my God is faithful at coming. If he said he would do it, and by the word of the Lord he has found by his own word, because he can swear by no higher, he swore by himself, and he will accomplish it. Amen. He will bring it up. And then he says, well, let us consider one another. Another place he says, considering Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, and there's no contradiction. Because if you consider Jesus, and are considered of Jesus, then you will be considered of one another. Amen. Yes, you will. So there's no contradiction here, as he says, let us consider one another, to provoke into love, or to bring into love, and to good works. Now that you know where I'm going. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's the matter of some already want. You see, we have a problem all over the world. We have a problem hatched in the cradle of Satan's own divine evil. We have a problem that promotes and does away with spirituality that things of God will hear to or hear. We have a problem. We feel like that God's word doesn't mean us. We feel like that we can very well do as we please as long as there's a chill down our spine once in a while. I've been the greatest problem in the ruination of churches and Christianity and Christian 
any longer. Children, the heart, the mind, and soul has desired the polluted waters of what man can bring himself rather than the fountain of living water. I have prayed that this one thing. I think every minister ought to pray and never let me. If there's one thing I'm weary of, and there's one thing I'm tired of, and that's ministering a message that does nothing to the heart of a man or woman. Come on. I would like to stir up your pure mind and make you desire to leave here this morning a better Christian. And I'd like for you to love me more. But if you can't and won't, I'd like to make you so mad that you'd like to call my eyes And then I'll feel like that I might have reached the soul of the heart. This morning, there's a danger that is moving. Ministers are shouting at everywhere, cry, you and cry along. And ministers are wanting someplace. I talk to them every place. And they said, Brother Hostel, what do we need? Is a medium ministers only to fall down before God on our face and say, God, illuminate us with a fresh message and give us a message. A message that would clear the hypocrite. And make that individual that comes and feasts and only spots in a feast of cheer would either drive them in I would rather not. I'm on occasions that God has given me words to speak to you. You come in, you come in full field, are we full of rebellion? You come in with a chip on your shoulder, some of you just there, somebody not enough. And God has said, Go rebuke that person in Jesus' name. I just wonder what would happen to some of my best friends if I did that. This, this is what I'm wondering. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. I'm just wondering how much church views I could clear. I mean, I went and done that. I saw some of the response that has happened with the saints of God and often go better. And somebody has been rebuked through the word of God and I saw them run through them and throw their arms around them and try to love them. You don't do that to us. If God's word splits the skin and, and tears the hide, you leave it alone. God's word will take care of the rest of it too. Amen. The bombs and gills are the only thing that can heal. You leave it alone. You let it rest. Hallelujah. Well, yes, I'm done. Praise the Lord. I guess I should have been done. Somebody said, <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's have some music. And one thing I would like to ask of you. This morning, if you get nothing else out of the subject, check your life. See if there's some things that you used to do. That was God's word and command and you do it wrong. And you don't do them anymore. Don't leave this building until you decide that you're not going to live this way. That, that's a forsaken. And uh, the great forsaken doesn't just happen all at once. It starts with one thing and goes to another. How many saints of God 
I'll say Saint Sigurd. I'll have to say that until you're a saint. But how many do you know that you probably go home right now? And you should be right here rejoicing and shouting and singing the Lord's prayer. At home right now, making their own decisions. Reverting back to some of the things that they did before they knew their life. Reviling their symptoms of unclean things. Making a Christian, making a shame and spectacle before the world. You see what's happened? Jesus. Abel took 